When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Wanted to have you back on after our last episode. You had so much good content and uh, just a lot of great more you're he had so much more mental stuff in there and ronnie actually warned me because be careful he's a well-studied guy you'll he'll open your mind up a little bit and sure enough that's what happened so anyway thanks for coming back in and uh this is uh frank murr i'm sure if you're watching this you follow ufc you know who frank is and uh you've seen him uh, i love that one scene in the fight with uh brock lesnar where you're wrapping his leg and almost ripped it right off his body. That was a self-preservation. I figured if I get rid of his leg and stop fighting. Wow. How long did it take you to get down there? Like I counted probably, was that 10 minutes down there? I all I remember you grabbed his leg and you started reaping on it. I'm not sure yeah, how no, much time that was. As far as locking up the move, it was only seconds. And then – yeah, and then once I started applying pressure on it, uh, you know, he was actually tapping for a lot longer than uh, the referee to acknowledge to come in and actually stop it. That's why I didn't let go immediately. Just because the, the rules of the, the, the system of MMA, if you have something locked up and the guy taps and you let go, but the referee didn't call it, it doesn't count. Oh, so you got to wait for the ref to see it and call it. And he may be in pain, but it could go against you really quick. Right. I've seen guys let stuff go being a nice guy and then uh doesn't pay off for him in the end ouch yeah ron said you're pretty brutal you were not very forgiving when you got in the in that cage well i mean it's, it's a combative sport and you know yeah. the things we're doing is to incapacitate people you know if you're that you know i never treated it like a game where it was just like well i just you know i realized that we're both trying to harm each other to become the dominant you know uh, victor Okay, it makes sense. Because what, what's going on in your mind? Like, I think we may have covered this last time, but what's fascinating to me is psychology of when you go from two steps outside the cage and you go into the cage and you're facing your opponent. What's going on in your wills when you you're seeing, let's say, Brock there, your opponent? Are you you're just studying his body language to figure out where you can hit him and take him down the quickest? Yeah, you know, it, there's just patterns that occur over and over in fights. And, uh, you know, and there's only so many ways a guy can throw a punch, only so many ways a guy can change levels or throw a kick. And so, um, obviously, there's variation, variations because, you know, no two humans are built exactly the same. But still, almost all things line up to where there are certain patterns and movements that, uh, that, that are indicative that always occur. And so you just – that's what training comes from. You're constantly training to see things that, you know, your brain has to think less if it's familiar with something. You know, it's just kind of like, you know, typing – the first time you have to look to the keyboards, but after a while, your body starts to understand neurologically where things are and what comes after what. And certain patterns become more ingrained into you, they become faster. I'm sure if someone's typing, they realize that certain letters, the fingers tend to hammer out faster because they occur more often because there's a pattern. And so because of that, that's, that's pretty much what's happening in the fight. And as you're getting closer to walking in where it's turning on, it's trying to eliminate a lot of ambient noise. You know, if you're driving a car, 
you know, you're thinking about what you're going to go eat for breakfast the next day, maybe the conversation you had the night before with the wife, the conversation you have with an employee or a boss or whatnot. Uh, those things are distracting. And so when you're fighting, you just eliminate all those outside voices. That's why people, I've had friends of mine go, hey, man, I was standing right by the cage. When you walked by, you looked at me. I was like, didn't see you. Didn't acknowledge. That's not where my focus was. You know what I mean? So you go in and then like the baseball game, clear the mechanism. And then you clear that mechanism and you just tune it all out. And you're just going to fight with like warrior mode. Yep. Yeah, you're very much living in the id. And you, you can't stay in that way the whole time. Obviously, you know, your brain's going to have a certain amount of a mental endurance. You know, it's like trying to hold a certain thought. No matter what, you're going to eventually break from it. The mind just doesn't work that way to where I can sit there and focus and hyper-focus for minutes at a time. So as I do, you break off and there's times for, uh, you know, self-auditing uh, of what's occurring in the fight, what's going on, and you can step back when you're out of danger and kind of reassess. And then you jump back in and, you know, you implement whatever is going on. And then, you know, there's a lot of, of, of again, it's kind of like I, I try to really, I think people have an easier time understanding. I'm like, we're kind of like a quarterback in a, in a football game. I walk up to the line. There's a play that we think we're going to run because of what we think is going to occur for the situation and, and who we're playing and what tools I have. But as I walk up and I'm reading, I'm going to make adjustments on the fly. You know what I mean? I might change the play before we even go. I might go ahead and stick to the play, but all of a sudden my first read's not where I'm going to go. Oh, that guy's tied up second read. And then sometimes there's all-out chaos where it's like, oh, I'm going to scramble and just try to save this play because it's all gone, you know, uh, to hell. And so uh, that's probably the best, you know, uh, you know, comparison that I can make with what it's like to be a fighter, you know, that, and that's what's occurring. You know, I walk in there with a game plan of what I think is going to occur, but you can't be beholden to it. You have to realize that I'm going to make adjustments as I go and, and also know how to scramble and complete chaos to make that occur. So the, the key word there, you said chaos. So you got to be able to manage your emotions and control your emotions in the midst of that chaos for that, that one round. Oh, obviously, then, yeah. So you train. Yeah. That's what you do during the week is train for that chaos. Yep. And I try to eliminate emotions in all aspects of it, meaning that I, I've never learned, and maybe someone smarter than I can tell me, but if, uh, <laughs> if, if, if you feel happy about something – If you feel happy about something, like if, if I get a dominant position on you and I feel a rush of euphoria going, yes, I'm in a good position. Um, right. That means that when you get into a bad position, you're going to feel negative feelings towards it because you now have opened up that door of your mind of being emotionally attached to what you're doing. Um, I've always tried to, as much as possible, to be unemotionally attached until the fight's over with. So that way, whether I'm in a phenomenal position or whether I'm in a right. really horrible position, I have no emotional attachment to it. To me, they're just calculations. Well, even uh, if I'm in a dominant position, what do I have to do next to increase my dominance or to finish this? And if I'm in a very bad position or losing, uh, how do I change the pace of this and improve upon my position? How do I move instead of sitting there going, oh, man, this sucks that slows you down. You know what I mean? Like right. you're sitting there thinking about it. It's like, look, afterwards when you watch it on tape, you can be emotionally attached to it. You know, that brought me to the scene where I was watching you and a uh, rock go at it. I think maybe the last fight or second, I can't remember. 
but he was giving you the elbows, just the elbows, and your head was on the 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 mat, just boom. He was just giving to you left and right. I'm like, how the heck does he get through that mentally? He's just getting pounded, and I was just like, it just kind of fascinated my mind. Like, okay, what's going on with Frank's head right now? Because he's getting pummeled right now by him. And what what's going? What's your survival instincts at that point in time when you're getting just crushed at that time? Well, obviously, I'm not. You you know. You address what's occurring. I'm like, okay, this is happening. How do I improve the position? How do I get into a better spot uh, to, to, to increase, you know? Uh, I think a lot of people, the mistake would be to sit there going, oh, damn, I'm being hit. And then you just focus on that. Instead of going, okay, I acknowledge that I'm being hit. What do I have to do to keep that from happening? Or what, because he's hitting me, what's open that I can pay him to take advantage of? Uh. So you're, you're figuring out where his body is at on you and you're getting ready for that counter move when, when, the, when he gives that inch or half an inch, you're ready to flip it and flip the switch yeah. and make that move. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I mean, instead of sitting there going, man, this sucks. This is where I'm at. I'm like, but the time you just wasted right now, the two or three seconds of that epiphany that, man, this is horrible. You've wasted <laughs> three seconds of, mm-hmm. you've wasted two or three heartbeats that you could have been, looking to improve your position, improve the scenario. Okay. That, I'm just, I'm fascinated by the psychology of the fight, being in the cage and all that. Like, I would never be the one in the cage because I knew, I, I don't like pain that much. I just, I don't even know how I graduate from the Marine Corps boot camp. It's just like, I don't know. I'm like not a Navy fan of pain, but it's unnecessary <laughs> evil. Unnecessary right, exactly. Unnecessary evil, I guess I should say. And it, right. So, um, I know you're in your, you're in your middle of your career. You've been fighting in the UFC MMA for what, how many years now? 20 something like that. Going years? on 20 years. Yeah. Professionally. Okay. Professionally. And what do you, what do you enjoy about the league, the UFC and the MMA and all the different leagues? What, what are the best parts that you enjoyed the most out of fighting? Um, you know, to me, what they provide for me as a, a competitor is a stage to compete against the best people in the world. And so, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you know, I'm the kind of guy that when I go to the range and shoot, I want to go and shoot against other people or I want to shoot against myself or, you know, okay, if I, I have a timer, if I pulled and draw this fast, how do I make myself faster? How do I increase that? And the one thing about martial arts is it's not as easy as shooting where I can set up scenarios and you can kind of push yourself pretty hard by yourself. Um, fighting, you need a dance partner. I need somebody to combat against. And so uh, to really test yourself, you have to increase the difficulty of who you're facing to really find out of what you're doing and there's truth behind it. So I guess I'm very much of a scientist in that way, and that's what MMA has provided me, is that I can go in there and test myself and go, well, I'm thinking that this is the way to do things, and I get to find out if I'm correct or not uh, pretty quickly. Whereas I think a lot of guys or women – you know, I think we have this idea in the back of our head that we could really, oh, man, if the situation calls for, I'll make it happen. Eh, right. That makes you feel comfortable right now while you're sitting on the couch, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But if all of a sudden, like, hey, by the way, here's a contract. In two weeks, you're going to fight. Are what you're doing, is what you're doing at home right now, is it enough? Is it really and most people would freak out and go, no, no, I'm not ready. I, I need more time. I'm like, exactly. But I'm always trying to think that that opportunity to test myself is right around the corner. So I don't wait till the contract's on my desk. 
I'm constantly looking to improve and look. And obviously having fights gives me opportunities to, again, test myself. So the biggest thing you love about the industry is testing yourself constantly and the science venue to yes. experience that test and push yourself to the next level. Well, and I grew up in a traditional martial arts background. You know, my dad owned a karate right. school. And even though his was very much full contact, much more like what you saw in the 70s with Joe Lewis and whatnot, um, it wasn't as watered down yet. And his school didn't make it because of the fact he wasn't watered down. <laughs> Guys are getting their teeth removed, oh, uh, yeah. you know, black eyes, broken noses. You know, my first time ever getting my ribs broken was in his gym. <laughs> Uh, you know, wow. I was 14 years old. And so uh, I never wanted to be that guy. You know, you sit around and people, you know, talking about what they can do. I'm like, eh, but do you really know? I mean, and thankfully, we live in a society and, and I that we're not really physically fighting on a regular basis. I mean, most full-grown men might get into one or two altercations by the time they leave high school till the time they get buried. Uh, you know, it just isn't common for us to be fighting all the time. I mean, there are a few people out there, but the way our laws are set up, eventually it's going to catch up to you and you're either going to never own anything or you're going to end up in prison uh, or both. You know, And so right. uh, the MMA fighting gave me an opportunity to constantly be pushing and testing myself in a way that was realistic in a way that I could feel that I was actually, you know, being truthful in the evaluation of what my skills were in a one-on-one uh, combative situation with no weapons were involved. Almost the perfect scenario for a good fight with no weapons. Yeah, you know, I mean, and obviously in the real world doesn't always uh, lend to that. But when people right. tell me that, you know, it's almost kind of like a lot of the competitive shooting courses guys, you know, competitions guys do. My dad does the uh, IDPD, uh, International Defensive Pistol. Uh, uh, and, you know, people are like, well, it's not real. I'm all, but here's the thing. You shoot paper targets, he goes every week and he's doing this. You're right. It's not real. No one's shooting back at him. But out of the two of you right now, if you guys got into a gunfight, I'm betting on him. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same reason why our military use sim rounds. They go through houses and they do things. Is it 100% real? No, it's not. You know, there's not real bad guys shooting live rounds at them. You're right. It's not 100% real. But it's as close to real as we can make it. So that way, when the real life stuff does happen, it's not such a far jump, you know? And that's right. what I think MMI is provided for me. You're right. When people sit there go, well, it's not a real street fight. I'm all, eh, it's about as close as we can legally get to and keep practicing without killing each other. And I actually get to train my maneuvers. You might sit there and go, I'll poke you in the eye. I'm like, really? How many times have you done that in real life? How many times have you even practiced it? You can't. So you're telling me, and it's, I always tell people, it's like, uh, uh, you got two pitchers you can use in the next, you know, you're going to call. You can call up the guy who's thrown his fastball a thousand times against a thousand different people. Or you can call up the other guy who has this crazy sinker that he's never practiced. But he knows it. He's done it in the midair. But he's never actually thrown it live at anybody. I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to take you. I'm going to take the guy who has a more legitimate shot of accomplishing the goal because he's actually practiced it a thousand times against unwilling participants that didn't want him to do it to him. And that's what MMA is. I'm constantly in the gym choking and punching and kneeing people that don't want to be choked, punched, or kneed, and they're getting out of the way and they're firing back at me. So when people sit there and go, well, you know, in a real fight, I'm all, when's the last time you practiced a real fight? You know what I mean? Like what I'm practicing is closer to what you're practicing, which is nothing. And you just have this 
you know, again, humans are so great at bullshitting ourselves, telling ourselves and making <laughs> ourselves feel more comfortable so we can sleep at night going, oh, well, you know, when it came down to it, I could. I'm all, no. Feel better about yourself. You probably never have to find out the ugly truth, but the truth is no, you're not going to be able to handle the situation at all. Right. Yeah, so true. Like in training, it becomes second, you know, muscle memory. And the EP, go to EP course, EP school, you learn that what walk the diagram in the box and the stuff that you learned in, as balancing in the clubs in Vegas, it's like 99% of the time in the bodyguard world, you're not going to pull out a gun. But you're like, you, we, we talked about before, I think about a week or so ago when we last had our podcast together, how, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be judo, it's going to be hands-on, it's going to be combative, not going to be any weapons involved usually. It's just going to be bump them out, get the guy out the X, get him in the car and get him out of there. And a lot of people just don't train for that. They're so used to standing and position of attention on the red carpet and looking pretty. That's not really EP work. You go down to Mexico and do maneuvers in Mexico and go to Iraq. That's, that's the real EP stuff and getting shot at and all that. And most people in here in the States, they don't get it. You don't, unless you've been, you know, training like you guys do seven days a week, five days a week in the, in the gym, on the mat, getting punched and punched and punched. And so when you get punched, you're like, oh, that was just a punch. My nose bleeding. Oh, well, let's keep going. Most guys in the EP world, I hate to say it, but a lot of them are, they're kind of wimpy. They're, they're not ready for when things go south real fast. Can they handle it? Probably not. Maybe out of hundred percent, maybe 10% are going to be able to handle their principal and get them off that X. Yeah. And I think too, the one thing you, you brought up there uh, to, to really add emphasis to it is that, you know, I don't think things go zero to a hundred miles an hour and the drop of a hat. I think most things that people realize in my history, of dealing mm -hmm. with violent confrontations, they escalate. They start out, you know, verbal. Then they might get into pushing. Then they turn into a fist fight. And then maybe someone goes and grabs something that, you know, to help leverage themselves into a, an advantage in the fight, you know, a beer bottle or whatever the case may be, or, you know, throwing a chair. But if, they, if you really broke it down in your head, I'm like, hey, this had levels. There was layers to this. And Absolutely. the more proficient you are at the different layers, the less you can probably try to avoid getting to that level to where, well, damn, now I had to pull my weapon and draw and fire on you because, you know, the guy, you know, he grabbed a kitchen knife or, you know, the butter knife off the, you know, the table of the restaurant. Now he's coming after me. And now it's like, well, you know what? There was a lot of steps before he built himself up to that. Very right. few people are compute, complete sociopaths and are able to just go from eating a meal into pure violence of trying to shove a knife down your throat. Most people uh, talk themselves into it. They build them up. Their, their courage. Uh, I, I, man, I've seen it so many times at the bar where I've said something to somebody, uh, you know, about their behavior. Just, hey, relax, chill out. And if it didn't handle and touch them the right way, they didn't become instantly violent. I could see them over there building themselves up, convincing themselves in their head, bargaining and talking and, and building up that courage and, that, you know, psyching themselves out in a sense to, to take it to the next level. And so that's where I'm like, oh, you know, let me – nip this in the bud here verbally and, and try to avoid it heading up to the next level to where you don't get there. Yeah. Yeah. You described it perfectly. There's always a, a cycle of growth, the body language, the escalation, like you said, it doesn't go zero to 60 in three seconds. It just doesn't no. happen with the human mind. Yeah, like I mean, you said, unless you're a social path, that might be. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm not saying there's not those guys out there that walk up to a, you know, a, yeah. 
you know, and start drawing and, and, and unloading rounds. You're right. It happens, you know, uh, down in Florida, the guy that walked in the nightclub. You can show me stories like, well, what happened there? I'm like, well, you know, there was a buildup, but no one saw it coming. You know, the guy was hanging out right. there for a year or two. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the signs weren't as evident, but there still was a, you know, an escalation of, of, of violence in this person's mind, of, of, of probing the area and planning and, and, and getting things going. And, and then, like I said, most people in real life, those, you know, even if they're just a chance, chaotic, you know, uh, situation, there's still levels to it. Most people can't just go from, you know, first gear to fifth. They're going to build up. That's a great point for the guys in the AP industry and security industry that are watching this uh, podcast. So they know that when they're studying different people in different schools, you, you being a master in your field in the UFC and MMA and all that, they can uh, apply that, those notes to their knowledge or tool belt going forward. Um, one thing I want to ask you, I was curious about here. You're, I hear you're a free agent now and you got some possibilities coming up here down the road in the next few months or whatever. And what's life looking like for you? Um, do you have more business projects in the future you're looking at to do once you decide to hang up the belt and get off the mat and do some other things? Is there any, any industries up there that are fascinating to you beyond the octagon, beyond MMA and all that? Well, actually, this one, you know, executive protection is something I'm very much interested in. Uh, and uh, just because of it lends to a craft I'm already in. And I think a lot of the things that I've done to prepare for what I do, there's a lot of crossover and obviously it's not a hundred percent, but I, and I have you know, just like me being a bouncer, wasn't a hundred percent crossover from being a fighter. In fact, right. you know, uh, uh, <laughs> often those skills almost kind of contradicted each other of what I needed to accomplish. Uh, you know, talking myself out of situations, talking other people out of situations. Uh, and so, but the martial arts and the mindset of how to deal with people, you know, whether it's a punch or whether it's a thought, the, the human mind is kind of the same. I remember when Mayamatu Masashi said that in his book, you know, you know, one man can learn to fight 10, then 10 men can learn to fight 100. And I, and I think what he was trying to convey there was that the mind is the same. It's just we have different attachments, you know, whether we're fighting, you know, open warfare, you know, or we're, you know, it's aircraft or whether it's just hand to hand, it's still the human element, you know, and so understanding that and understanding yourself and understanding others, I think is very universal. And then as far as, you know, I'm going to keep on fighting right now because I'm 41, but, you know, I'm in the gym all the time. My kids are, my daughter is a professional, wants to turn pro here in the next uh, three months probably. And she's not Boys even at eight. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. So it keeps, it keeps me training. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to get away from it. I'm not. <laughs> so actually now, you know, I have a very strong interest in the bare knuckle boxing. I think that uh, MMA is very close to a fight, and there's a lot of things in there. But I think right now we have a lot of wrestling in MMA. And my only complaint to that is, you know, you know, it's hard to hold a guy against a car door for three or four minutes, you know. Uh, you know and a lot of fighters are now doing this in MMA. And, and you know, whereas the, the bare-knuckle boxing, you know, the way the rules set, uh, it allows for clinching, so it has a similarity of a real fight. But once you're just holding and you're not doing anything besides hanging on, they break you. And that's something I've argued for us to have an MMA for the longest time. I'm like, hey, look, the clinch is real. But, you know, in a real fight, you're not just going to close your hands, grab me around the waist, pin me against the cage and sit there, uh, you know, not even for 30 seconds for the referee to start us over. 
in bare knuckle boxing. I mean, it's basically like the minute you stop being violent, they break you so that you can go back to trying to have an opportunity for violence. And so, uh, you know, I, I really like that concept. So it looks like I'm, I'm going to go that way maybe for the next, uh, you know, year or so. About another year or so in the uh, octagon, throwing guys around, beating them up a little bit and get that last belt and call it quits and going to the EP industry possibly. I heard you might be going into training, a training school maybe for the executive protection type stuff. Yeah. You know, Ron Owen, I've been talking about what I could provide. Uh, You know, obviously he has much more of an expert in that world of, of the totality of what it takes. And so, you know, one thing I've learned about martial arts is, you know, uh, when I walk into someone else's field house, you know, be attentive and learn that, hey, they're the reason why they're there and why they're good at what they do. And even if you have confidence of yourself, don't ever be so speak so much that you can't hear the advice of others. Oh, a lot of, that's profound. A lot of truth to that. Totally. A lot of truth. So you're thinking, are you thinking about maybe going into bodyguard world yourself or you enjoy more being a trainer in the EP industry is like in school and curriculum? I think both. I mean, obviously, I think that, uh, you know, uh, being a trainer, I have a lot to provide because I do that already in my world uh, and my ability to convey technique and explain things and the mindset behind them. But then also too, just, you know, you know, again, I don't want to be the guy that ever is teaching on a subject that's never really ever 100% done that, uh, you know. It'd be like, you know, it'd be like being a commentator for MMA. And even though you've trained it, you never actually had a fight. It, right. You know, there's going to still be a little bit of, uh, of more expertise that someone such as myself, when I'm commentating a fight, can bring them on board because I'm like, hey, not only have I trained this in the gym, I've actually done it for real at a high level. So true. Yeah. Now, are you, are you to go into the sports um, announcements type stuff too, you think, as a business a side thing? Or is that an opportunity? Yeah, yeah. I've already been doing that. So, yep, that's definitely okay. something I do. Cool. Yeah, I heard you guys, you and Ron, were out shooting weapons last weekend or something. Did that get yeah. a little crazy? <laughs> yeah, and actually I got to see a couple of techniques that were pretty cool that I had never worked on, uh, you know, drawing and firing a weapon with somebody that basically is on top of you. Uh, you know, the, the, oh, wow. we, were, we were firing and discharging weapons basically, you know, point blank without, you know, obviously not pushing in with the, uh, you know, because I use a, a semi-automatic, you know, obviously, you know, a, a pistol, not a revolver. So I didn't want to take it out of battery by pushing in on it, but uh, still learning how to draw the weapon, clear people and, and still fire rounds. Where do you guys do that? In Oklahoma? Yeah. Uh, I, okay. I couldn't tell you where yet. That's wrong. The where uh, okay. range he took us to. His secret little range that he does stuff at. Yeah. He's still telling me, trying to get me to get out of there to get buy a special special weapon for special needs people. Right. <laughs> and uh, I, might, I might have to make a little flight out there to pick up something special. Yeah, well, we'll be out there. I'll be commentating show in uh, October 9th, the XFN, which is on UFC Fight Pass. I'm the commentator uh, every other month oh, okay. for that one. And so I'll be out there with Ron. If you're, you're interested, maybe we can make it a, you know, go out for a day of shooting. Oh, that'd be fun. You might teach me a thing or two. All yeah. I have is my Glock 40. I don't have, I haven't had an MR, AR, or M16 since the Marine Corps. And you can't touch those in California because of felony if you're just a citizen. You know how those rules are in California. They're kind of screwed up. Yeah, that's why I don't think I'll ever move there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another question is, uh, any any ideas? I know you're a free agent right now. Any word on any potential fight coming up or everything still up in the air right now? 
Well, right now I'm actually talking to the guys from the Bare Knuckle Boxing League, the, the ones that put on the uh, – there's a couple out there, but the Bare Knuckle the, – pretty much the premier one that uh, put on the fight with uh, Artem uh, Lvov and then uh, um, the boxer, the world champ. Uh, I'm bad with names. Uh, okay. And so anyways, uh, that league. But uh, it's not 100% official yet, but it's looking like it will be. So as soon as it does, I'll let you know. I'll post it on my social media. Nice. If the money's right, you'll be in there. You know what? I just need to get paid enough to make sure my wife's happy so that I can do what I love to do. <laughs> there you go. Happy wife, happy life, right? <laughs> 100%. If I was a single guy, I'd fight for free. <laughs> Crazy. Now, you, all your kids are fighters too, right? Your son's fighting, your daughter's going. They, they all have to train it, and that's my thought process because of all the skills being a martial artist life yeah. skills it brings you but uh my boys are much more interested in football and they want to go that route uh That's for right that. now. so no nah, you know football is more of a young man's sport so you know it's not like they're going to play it till they're 40 i mean there's only so many tom brady's in the world so eventually they'll come back to me and i can teach them martial arts so we can train that but at least it keeps fun. us in the gym together we all lift together you know it's funny my wife makes fun of me because over the summer uh, you know, I'm walking and then my three kids are behind me. She's like, it's like a, a bear and a sweet cubs, you know what I mean? And we're just walking around the gym working out, you know? So it's great. Nice. So you're in the gym, what, five days a week still doing your thing, doing yep. workouts, Five and cardio. six days, yeah. Yeah, 1130, wow. I do uh, MMA training at the, with all the pros, uh, you know, and then uh, that, those are probably my hardest workouts. Immediately afterwards, I go and I train weights. And, uh, and then in the evening, I go and do technical training. I don't think you can train twice a day hard, especially not at 41. And I don't think you should even be doing it at 17 at my daughter's age. Wow. It's going to catch up to you. Um, I think the body can, you know, if you push it hard once, I think you're done for the day as far as that you know, energy system is uh, requirements to maintain and increase. But uh, I think you can go back to the gym six hours later with some rest and proper nutrition and work technique, you know, because a lot of guys, they only train hard and that's great. And that's an aspect of it. But the only part is you don't really learn to get better just training hard. Uh, it gets you in shape and it tests what you know. But if you want to really break down and learn, you have to have days where you walk into and practices where you're in the gym and you're walking through things, you know, or, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we hit pads for 15 seconds at a time, work a technique, maybe do rep out a maneuver. And then we stop, we break it down, we talk, and then we, we, we keep doing it over and over again. Wow. That's insane. But that's training. And it's a lifestyle I really enjoy, so I'm happy about it. I don't know what I'm going to do when I retire all the way because then my wife will be like, you don't need to be at the gym anymore. So that's one thing that kind of brought me into the EP thing because I'm like, well, I might still have to keep these skills sharp, you know, to keep me alive. So, Well, I'd, be, I'd love to work with you because I'm sure I, you can teach me a lot about bilingual studying bilingual behavior and all that. And yeah, that absolutely. Would be I love sharing knowledge with guys. It's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, I think Ron mentioned something about we're going to put a uh, probably a training school together or something here down the road. So we're working on that project behind the scenes, and so I think something's going to come in fruition here soon. Well, I don't want to keep you all night because I know you got dinner coming around the corner there. Your wife's probably yelling at you. So not yelling, but you get the look. <laughs> <laughs> I got the, I saw that look. I'm like dinner time, baby. Get in here and eat. But thanks for your time, Frank. And uh, we'll be awesome. looking for your social media for that announcement.